Now give us, O Lord, this day the glory of the light of your gospel. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Today we're going to be in Matthew's gospel, chapter 18, that Father John just read. And if you've followed along, you know that Jesus tells us a parable this morning. And a parable's a fictitious or fictional story that's meant to drive home a theological point. And the theological point that Jesus wants to, to wrestle with today is forgiveness. So let's look at that today. If you have your Bible, Jesus is going to do some open heart surgery, some gospel surgery on our hearts. Chapter 18, beginning verse 21. We're going to look at three primary topics. One is the prison of unforgiveness. Number two, the reason for unforgiveness in our lives. And number three, the remedy for unforgiveness in our lives. So the prison, the reason, and the remedy. Now, the prison of unforgiveness. The counseling center in the United Kingdom describes unforgiveness as this. It's when you are unwilling or unable to forgive someone for hurting, betraying, breaking your trust, or causing you intense emotional pain. True story. Several years ago, two prisoners of war, formerly of the Vietnam War, were at the Vietnam War Memorial in Washington, D.C. when they struck up a conversation. They had both been treated horribly during their POW time. The one man said to the second, Have you found in your heart all these years later the ability to forgive your captors? And the guy said this. He said, I haven't and I never will. What they did to me is simply unforgivable. To which the first man turned to him and said, then I guess they still have you in prison, don't they? Isn't that profound? The prison of unforgiveness. Is there a person in your life right now who has hurt you in such a way that they have you in prison still because of unforgiveness? And here's my confession, okay? Fellow teammate of mine, when I was playing high school football 35 years ago, on about this same time, on a Friday uh, right before the game, about an hour before, he came up to me and punched me in the gut. Now, I don't know why, 35 years later, I still hadn't figured it out, but I know that from time to time, I daydream about that moment, because I did not retaliate that night. I knew that the game was too important, and fighting amongst teammates an hour before the game would not help anybody, so I let it pass. But I'll tell you, about a month ago, I was daydreaming about that guy and about me punching him back. And my blood pressure shot up. My adrenaline kicked in. And then I caught myself. I was seeking revenge, retaliation. But the gospel makes me a new creature in Christ Jesus, something that I need to become more and more of each day. Paul in Romans 12 wrecks our fleshly desire for revenge. Here's what Paul says in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, Paul says, but leave it to the wrath of God. Unforgiveness. It is a prison. It is a poison. And if that toxin builds up enough in your spiritual bloodstream, 
It will kill your soul. I guarantee it. Think about it. This morning, who is that person that maybe has you in the prison of unforgiveness? Peter asked the question this morning that we all wish we could have asked Jesus, right? Look at verse 21 and 22. Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brothers sin against me and I forgive them? As many as seven times. Jesus said to Peter, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations will have it 70 times 7. Now Peter knew Exodus 21. And in his Bible study, he knew from the Old Testament that what is God's law? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Somebody punches you in the gut, you get to punch them in the gut. You can't wail on them with a crowbar, but you get your pound of flesh. They steal your chicken, you can't steal two of his chickens, he owes you one chicken. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So what Peter is saying is, give me a number, Jesus. I'm trying to be magnanimous here. I know that I can retaliate tit for tat, but I'll forgive somebody because I'm your disciple seven times. Jesus says, no, you're to forgive 70 times seven. In other words, disciples of Jesus Christ have an infinite capacity for forgiveness. Our forgiveness should be limitless. It is forgiveness without borders. It's forgiveness without end. 70 times 7. But truly, what Peter wants is a number, right? Tell me how many times I've got to forgive, and on the eighth time I get to punch the guy in the nose. Settle the account. Get my perpetrator with his pound of flesh. Give me a number. Sometimes I wish I had a number, a number, when I think back to those high school days. Now let me tell you, it would feel good for me to get even and punch that guy back, but it would not solve the problem of unforgiveness, not the prison of unforgiveness. Jesus uses an amazing parable, a rich parable this morning to illustrate this point. So the reason for unforgiveness, point number two, look at verses 23 and 24. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So what's he doing? He's going and getting all of his debtors, everybody that owes the king something, and he brought one of them before him, and he owed him a thousand talents. Let's stop right there. What is a talent? About 75 pounds of gold. Multiply that by a thousand. Scholars say in the modern marketplace, it would be Almost $6 billion this guy owed his king. Jesus' point is this. The man owed more to the debt of the king than he could repay in a thousand lifetimes. He would never be able to repay this debt. His goose is cooked in this story. And the king applies the justice of the law to begin with. He shows this man what justice looks like when you owe the king. In verse 25. He sells the man into prison, sells his wife and his children and everything that he owned. Friends, that's justice. That's justice. That's what should have happened to this man under the law. But the story doesn't stop there, does it? There's this great twist in verses 26 and 27. The guy falls on his knees, screaming out before the king, have patience with me and I will repay everything. Now, of course, he's not going to repay everything. But he's crying out for mercy. He's crying out for mercy. And this incredibly grace-filled, loving, merciful king grants him just that. 
in verse 27. And out of pity for this man, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Six billion dollars. So are you with me so far? The king is God, right? We, we know that. The, the person who is the servant is all of us, all mankind, and the debt we owe is insurmountable, and the wages of sin is death. Justice would mean death for sinners. That's what we deserve. That is the debt that we owe because of our transgressions against God and our neighbors. That's the debt. But three things the king did, right? He pitied the man. Some English translations say he had compassion on him. His heart went out to him, other translations say. And isn't that what Jesus did for us? God so loved the world that he gave his only son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. To come to us, God's heart poured out for us. He poured out his heart. He had pity on the man and he forgave him the debt. But who absorbed the debt? The king absorbed the debt. And isn't that what Jesus has done for each of us? He pities us with compassion. He forgives our sins, and he sets us free from that sin. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 describe the gospel like this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, and not the result of your works, so that no one may boast. You know what Jesus is doing? He's laying out the gospel in this parable today. That through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our enormous debts before God are canceled. We are set free. A thousand lifetimes we couldn't in our flesh repay the debt. A visa bill worth six billion dollars is canceled on the hardwood of the cross. Instead of demanding justice, he showed mercy to the man. God took pity on him and his heart went out to him. But the story doesn't end there. Look at verse 28. This guy, now get this, fresh out of prison, he's shown what justice would look like if he got what he deserved. He fails to show an ounce of mercy to anybody in his life. He finds one of his servants. And this servant owned, owed this guy, who'd just been forgiven, a hundred denarii. hundred denarii. That is the equivalent of $12,000. The man could have repaid him. But instead, he takes him, verse 28, he seizes him, he chokes him, and says to him, pay what you owe. Justice, justice. Here's the reason for unforgiveness in most of our lives. We want justice for the other guy, and we want mercy for ourselves, don't we? We are hardwired that way. Pre-conversion, pre-Holy Spirit coming into our lives, Pre-understanding the gospel, we're hardwired to act just like this unforgiving servant in this story. I taught a thing in Alpha on forgiveness a few years ago, and it's a true story. I'm going from Conway to Myrtle Beach down a two-lane highway, and I am uh, late for a business appointment at a church, and I'm behind this really slow guy, and I'm getting really mad, and I'm riding his bumper, and I start to go around him and give him this evil look. And then I remember I've got a collar on, so I don't give him quite the look I should have. But he was a slow poke. He was preventing me from going down the highway. And, and then the blue lights came, and the cop pulled me to the side. And he looked at my license and looked at the collar. He said, you're a priest? And I said, yes, sir, I am. 
He said, it would not behoove me to give a ticket to a, a priest, would it? I said, no, God would not like that. <laughs> and so he said, okay, I'm going to let you off this time, but Father, do slow down and don't let this happen again. Two weeks later, kid you not, I'm piddling along. I don't have any appointments. I'm going 55. And this guy in this red sports car comes up on my bumper, riding me, honking his horn, comes around me, flicks me the bird on the way around, and I was so mad. But two miles later, there are the beautiful blue lights. <laughs> and Mr. Red Sports Car had been pulled over. And I'm like, yes, justice, baby, justice. And then the shoe dropped. I had just received mercy, and here I'm crying for justice. I was late to a meeting. This guy could have been going to the hospital. He could have had a wife who's bearing their first child. Who knows why he was riding my bumper. But we want justice for others, mercy for ourselves. Now look at verse 32. Here's Jesus' indictment. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you should have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you. The shoe dropped. The king throws the ungrateful man in jail until all of his debts were paid. He gets to see what a life before God lived in justice looks like because the jail Jesus is talking about is hell. If you want to navigate your spiritual relationship to salvation through justice, we're all going to be in trouble. We want mercy for ourselves. Colossians 3.13 says this, Bear with each other and forgive one another, if you have any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the point. That's the point. Jesus says it in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven the debts of others. What Jesus is saying is that the amount that you understand and apply the gospel to your heart is the same amount that you can apply the gospel to somebody else's life. There is a direct correlation. When you understand the debt that has been removed on the cross of Calvary, it should be natural and normal to relieve the debt of friends and family members who've hurt you. Applying the gospel means you've got to receive the gospel in the first place. Then Jesus summarizes this parable in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to each of you and me if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Forgiving your brother from the heart. Now that's not only a warning, but it's also a remedy for unforgiveness. And let's talk about that. Three things. Jesus says, forgive your brother from the heart. It all starts with the heart, right? Unforgiveness is in the heart and forgiveness is in the heart. A heart that recognizes the enormous debt that has been canceled in the person and work of Jesus Christ is heart surgery. It opens up the heart. It allows us to begin to forgive somebody else a lesser sin when we realize the great sins that we've been forgiven. You don't want justice, friends. You want mercy. And God wants you to apply that mercy to others. Forgive your brother from the heart. Number two, depend on the Holy Spirit to do the work in your life. In John chapter 20, Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit on his disciples. And then he teaches them about forgiveness. Notice the pattern. The Holy Spirit comes into them, then they're taught about forgiveness and setting free their brothers, binding and loosing. 
The Holy Spirit comes first. In Ezekiel 36, it says, When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he will change your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Let the Holy Spirit do his work to allow you to get out of the prison of unforgiveness. And last but not least, Luke 6, 27. Jesus says, Let those who hear, hear me well, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. You see, it's a really hard thing to be praising and blessing your enemy and still hold a grudge against them. When you are blessing them, what you're saying is your salvation matters. Yes, you hurt me. It could be a spouse who's left you. It could be a friend who's hurt you. It could be a boss. But if you pray blessings and mercy upon them, it's hard to keep that poison of unforgiveness in your heart. It will change you. Romans 12, 14, Paul says, Bless your enemies and do not curse them. Bless and do not curse. And what he means by that is don't keep going over the ways that they have wronged you, as I did a month ago to the guy who punched me in the gut. I was just thinking about retaliation. Don't keep overdoing the wrongs. Instead, shower blessings and prayers of salvation into their lives. So those three things, take that home. Connect with the gospel, because if you get the gospel, forgiving somebody else is going to be pretty easy. Number two, depend on the Holy Spirit to do the work you cannot do. This is a supernatural act to let go of unforgiveness. Number three, pray for those who have hurt you. Shower blessings and salvation upon them. And I guarantee you, you'll be blessed. And you'll be able to do what Jesus says, forgive your brother from the heart. Thanks be to God.